Shabbat Shalom. It is the season of Hanukkah. He is the reason for the season, as we'll find out. So I'm in part two of my sermon series on uh, Hanukkah. I've entitled it Hanukkah Truth Liberates. So we talked about this last week. The world is in an uproar. The spirit of Antichrist is everywhere, and the attack is on the truth. At the end of the age, the spirit of lawlessness grows, and truth is turned upside down, and everything that you think is real is not, and everything that's not real is. And so we're living in that time. We can sense it. We can see it. We can feel it. We, we watch it in the media. It's everywhere all around us. In this series, we're looking at how truth overcomes the lies and how truth liberates and sets us free. Because in the end, the spirit of the world wants to trap you and me, enslave you and me in the darkness, in the chaos, in the confusion, and really snuff us out at the end. That is the spirit of the world. But God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have life. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. He is the light of God sent into the world of darkness to liberate us. And he does that by his power and through the truth. He says, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. That's Hanukkah in a nutshell. If you want the fuller treatment, come on Tuesday night. Okay. So I'm going to give you kind of the high points uh, as we look at this a little bit closer today. We're going to pick up our text from last week, John chapter 10, 22 through 23. It says, now Hanukkah was taking place in Jerusalem. It was winter and Jesus was walking around in the temple inside the porch of Solomon. Shock and awe, right? Reading the Bible all these years, talking about the Feast of Dedication, had no idea that's a reference to Hanukkah. It's the Hebrew word that is translated dedication. This is Hanukkah, translated dedication. That's why our translations say Feast of Dedication. So that is a little bit unsettling. It's a tremendous, fabulous winter celebration and tends to compete with another one. And so everyone gets a little bit nervous in December, right? This is the, uh, well, I don't even want to mention it. I don't even want to go there. We're going to do that on Tuesday night. I'm going to be really nice and friendly on Shabbat. Okay, so suffice it to say, Jesus is in Jerusalem at Hanukkah. Very important for us to understand this. People point out all the time, all the time oh, it's just a coincidence. It's just a coincidence he's down there in Jerusalem. Yeah, where's his home base again? Capernaum, Galilee, four to five days away. Ah, he's down there for a reason. He's down there for a purpose. So we'll look at that in a few minutes. We're going to jump to the backdrop of the story of Hanukkah. We did this last week. I want to give you two verses as a recap, and then we'll jump into our material. Daniel chapter 8, verse 12 is where the prophecy begins. Um, actually, it's, it's, through, it's through chapter 8, all the way through chapter 12, but the focus is chapter 8. It's speaking about the little horn that comes out of the third empire, which is Greece. And it's this little horn that is the forerunner to the Antichrist. And we get a snapshot of what his agenda is and what he does to the people of God. 
And that becomes a framework for understanding the spirit of Antichrist. His agenda never changes, right? He might change his strategies, but in the end, his agenda is always the same. He wants to seduce us away from the Torah as a way of life. He wants to attack and undermine the commandments of God as a way of life. That's always been his work. So it says, on account of, of transgression, the host, Israel, will be given over to the horn along with the regular sacrifice, and it, this Antichrist spirit, this Antichrist mindset that's permeated this secular empire it says it will fling truth to the ground it hates truth it's in a war against truth it's here today i mean think about how truth is censored on all of our social media platforms right they're all being exposed thank you elon musk they're all being exposed they are and you know what? Not only is Twitter exposing now the on-purpose, premeditated censoring of information, Facebook's next, and Instagram, and all these other social media, they're going to fall like dominoes, right? Praise God for that. But suffice it to say, truth has been under attack for quite some time, and everything's being turned upside down. Our Supreme Court justice that just got appointed can't even define what a woman is. You know why? Because we've disregarded the objective data in which truth is revealed. The Word of God. We've removed that. We've redefined everything. And now men are women, and women are men, and everything's so confusing. And, you know, it's like, wow, everything is redefined, turned upside down, and all around. This is the spirit of Antichrist. It will fling truth to the ground and perform its will and prosper. It did back then. It did in AD 70. It's happening now in our country and around the world, to be frank. Daniel 8, 25. And through his shrewdness, he will cause deceit to succeed by his influence. Yeah, deceit, where you seduce people away from what is true. This is the art of... And, and work of deception. This is what he does. Deceit to succeed by his influence, and he will magnify himself in his heart. He will destroy many while they are at ease. He will even oppose the prince of princes, but he will be broken without human agencies. So the book of Maccabees records the fulfillment of Daniel's prophecies. When Daniel prophesies, it all comes to pass. In fact, it's so super accurate that there are scholars that try to make the point Daniel could not have foretold that. It's too accurate. Too many details fulfilled. No, 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 no. Someone wrote in Daniel's name after the events took place, wrote these, the, you know, the book of Daniel, and it appears that Daniel foretold it when actually it was already happened and they just wrote that and put it in the past. No, I think Daniel prophesied by the Spirit of the Lord. And the fulfillment is seen in the book of Maccabees, and it is absolutely electrifying when you read it. I'm just going to recap some of these uh, issues because we don't have time. Again, you can come on Tuesday night if you want that. Antiochus Epiphanes ends up destroying the temple and then replaces the following 
with his own pagan ways. He eliminates the Sabbath as a holy day because he has his own holy days. He eliminates all the festivals of God because he has his own festivals. He eliminates God's dietary laws and commands the people to eat according to his own practices. He introduces pagan days and pagan ways, which the Bible calls idolatry. Unclean foods such as pork becomes part of the regular diet now for everyone in his empire. He uses his authority and power to legislate and enforce these things. He is an antichrist. And the spirit of antichrist always attacks and undermines and displaces God's commandments and ways with his own. Today, this same spirit is still attacking and undermining, undermining the Sabbath. Think about this for a minute. You know, I've had some dialogue with some, some you know, well-known scholars uh, in our movement. And it's interesting. I've asked the question over and over and over. Um, if we can expand the Sabbath to include, if we can redefine and expand the Sabbath to include Sunday, can't we also redefine the other, the other commandments and expand them too? Right? I mean, isn't that true? So if we can say, well, new, new definition, we're going to expand it, and Sunday is also the Sabbath. We'll call it the Christian Sabbath. So we've got the Jewish Sabbath and the Christian Sabbath. Well, we can do that with marriage then, right? We can expand it to include not just a man and a woman, but two men or two women. And that can be a marriage now. We can redefine the family and expand the definition too, right? I really believe because the early church tampered with the commandments of God and expanded the Sabbath to include Sunday, they opened the door for all of the rest to be ultimately flipped upside down. It's part of why we're seeing what we're seeing today. But back in the days of Antiochus Epiphanes, he undermined the Sabbath, the festivals, the dietary laws, and we see that throughout history. And it has a rise and a fall over and over and over. It usually shows up with empires. And we certainly have empires today. And we're seeing this all kind of being replayed. So, uh, this spirit attacks our God's Sabbath, our God's holy days, our God's dietary laws. Always has, always will. And like I said, marriage is under attack. Gender and sexuality is under attack. Our very bodies are under attack by a government that is mandating and enforcing experimental vaccines. Whoever would have thought that would happen in America? That is so, that is so shocking. If our revolutionary fathers were alive today, they would have started the revolution a long time ago. They would have. I'm telling you right now. I'm not going to say anything more about that. <laughs> it's not enough, though. The Spirit is reaching for our children. And you can see that everywhere. This agenda of sexual perversion and confusion is being pushed on them in elementary schools now. It's in our curriculum reaching down into the elementary levels. 
the experimental vaccine just got approved, I think two days ago, to be used on six-month-old kids up to five years old for a virus that has virtually no, no impact statistically on that age group. And like I said, this spirit has led those under its influence to censor and silence anyone that would speak out against that. The same spirit of Antichrist is rising again all around us, and the principles found in Hanukkah are the blueprint for hope, victory, and our liberty. So what are the three main principles of Hanukkah? You're going to love this. Let's put those up. The three main principles of Hanukkah. It is our maxim, by the way, for our community. It's embrace truth, live truth, and share truth. Truth is the liberator. It, it becomes very clear in the scriptures. I wish I had time. Maybe we'll do this next week. But Paul makes the case that we're saved by grace through faith, by the powerful working of the Spirit, and by believing in the truth. Very important for us to understand this. If you want to be free from deception and the spirit of Antichrist, you've got to have a love for the truth. Paul says, because they did not love the truth, God handed it, them over to a deluding influence so they'd be swept away in the deception. Truth matters. So develop a love for the truth, embrace it, and then live it, and then share it with others. That's Hanukkah in a nutshell. So in that day when everything had fallen apart and everyone had fallen away and everyone was afraid to speak out and finally was enslaved, right? One family stood up. One family stood up. Mattathias, Maccabee, and his family, his sons. And they said no. They said no to power. They said no to this authority. They said we will not disobey God. Then they did what they had to do to protect and defend their very lives because by disobeying the king, it was a death sentence. They would be killed for that. So they did what they had to do. They used arms, they used violence to protect their very physical lives, to defend their children. And you know what happened? I mean, think about this. What are the chances they're going to make it? They're just one family against a superpower, a military that was, was unstoppable. It was sure death for them. Yet Mattathias said, who cares? Our lives are in the hand of God. We will not obey you. Your obe obedience to you is disobedience to our God, and we will not obey. Yeah, they escaped that day. It was interesting. And others found courage. And others started doing the same thing in different places. They'd say no, and then they would join the resistance. They'd flee to the mountains with the Maccabees and join the resistance. And that little resistance starts to grow. And, and this Antichrist with his powers and his authority and his military and all his might thinking they're just going to go snuff them out, didn't factor in the living God. The God factor, you know, it's, it is the miracle factor, right? 
They didn't understand that. And as a result, they got in over their heads. So God gives his favor to uh, these group of courageous men and women who stand up to follow him even in fear, at the risk of their own lives. God gives them favor, miracle after miracle. And the few, the few, these are like farmers, right? He gives the few the victory as they overthrow the superpower, the military. Yeah, the few overthrowing the mighty. And then these few rededicated their lives to God. They cleansed the temple and then rededicated the temple to God. This is where we get the term Hanukkah. It means dedication. It's in reference to them celebrating God's victory and restoration by dedicating their lives and the temple back to God. So they came up with a celebration to memorialize this deliverance that God gave them, and they called it dedication. In Hebrew, they called it Hanukkah. And you know what the symbol is that they chose? Because every festival has a symbol. What is the symbol for Passover? The blood of the lamb. That's the symbol of Passover. You can go down and look at all the festivals. They all have their symbol that communicates the heart and soul of that festival. So what is the symbol they chose for Hanukkah? Light. They chose light to be the symbol. And they chose an eight-branched menorah to carry the light. Because the eight branches represented the festival lasting for eight days. It was an eight-day festival because they had just missed Sukkot two, two months before, a month and a half before they got victory. So they said, hey, let's at least celebrate kind of a late Sukkot, but we'll call it Hanukkah. But we're going to take the eight days of Sukkot, and that's what we're going to do, turn this into an eight-day celebration of God's victory and grace given to us to have our lives back, our temple back, and our religious freedoms back. So this is the eight days of Hanukkah, the festival of Hanukkah, the symbol being light. In fact, the idea was so riveting and became so popular that they came up with a new name for Hanukkah, an additional name for Hanukkah, that by the first century is as popular as the word Hanukkah itself and in some places more popular than the, than the, the, the term Hanukkah. They called it the Festival of Light. Instead of the Festival of Dedication, they were now calling it the Festival of Light because of all the menorahs. So they kept, you know, you go to Jerusalem during the, you know, when Jesus was walking in the temple in Solomon's uh, uh, portico, the whole temple was lit up. Josephus describes what the temple looked like during the week of Hanukkah. All the people had little uh, Hanukkahs with oil, you know, candles in oil um, lit up in their homes. All the homes were lit up. Thousands and thousands of homes lit up. And then in the temple, they took huge mega menorahs. They, they, made, they made these huge Hanukkahs. And they put them up against the walls inside of the temple. And they lit them. They, were, they, took the, the, they took the priestly garments and they soaked them in oil, wrapped them, and then lit them up. 
Josephus says the whole temple area was lit up. It was like daytime at night. It was like daytime in the temple. And the whole city was aglow. As you came into the city at night from, from the outskirts of the city, you could see Jerusalem. You could see the glow, you know, rising up where Jerusalem was. Yeah, the Festival of Light. It becomes known as the Festival of Light. I want to talk about light as a symbol of God. 1 John 1.5 says this. Now, this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light. See after me. God is light. Yeah. It's not one of his attributes. It's actually part of his essence. He is light. God is light. You know what? I'm telling you right now, this is so good. I'm going to take another offering. This is worthy of another offering. Where, you know, where are you going to go and get this kind of information? There's very few places that are actually teaching, teaching this. More and more are. You know, the whole church across the denominational you know, barriers, they're all turning back to first century Judaism to understand Jesus and his words within that context. You know, and they're, they're learning things. And this is part of the journey of the church coming back to our roots. And I'm so glad to be part of a church that is kind of riding the crest of the wave, you know. You always have, you know, the early adopters that are out there ready to go before the vision is even finished, you know. And then you got the people that kind of hang out and wait till everything's like got its momentum. And then you got the foot draggers that are trying to hold everyone back because they just don't want to go, you know. Yeah, the harvest is way out here in the front. That's where we're, we're out there with a few other organizations. And, uh, but we love that. I, I love that. You know, that's, that's important to me. So God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. So this whole idea of light connected to God, it's his very essence, is very important to this festival of light. I want to talk about light as a figure of speech. You ever heard the phrase, man, the light bulb went on? You know, where you're thinking about something, all of a sudden you understand it, you describe that in, in what way? Oftentimes we describe that as, well, the light went on. Well, what does that mean? It means I understand what you're saying now. Well, how does that figure of speech communicate that? Well, it's like going to a room and it's dark and I don't know what's in the room, but when I turn on the light, I can see everything in the room. So we use that phrase, oh, the light went on. Now I get it. I understand. Yeah. So light is also used in the Hebrew scriptures as a figure of speech for revelation for understanding revelatory things, things that are hidden. Psalm 36, 9 states this, For with you, O God, is the fountain of life, and in your light we see light. In your light, because God dwells in unapproachable light. And the psalmist is saying, In your light, all of a sudden, we see light. Now, that doesn't make a lot of sense. I mean, light is light, right? So, so how do you see light in light? Yeah, the rabbis, the sages said, actually, this is a play on words. It's a figure of speech. It's talking about the Messiah. They even retranslate this in some, in, in some texts to say basically this. In your light, we see light. Then they translate, this is about Messiah. It really means, in your Messiah, we have revelation. In the Messiah, we now can understand things, which tells us the Messiah is light and revelation. That's where this psalmist is basically going with this idea. So let's talk about Jesus as the light of God. In the, 
This is John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, all things came into being with Him. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, the darkness did not comprehend it. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light, which coming in the world enlightens every man. Wow, this is like Hanukkah and steroids, right? He was in the world, the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Jesus, the light of God. The light that comes into the world and enlightens every man and every woman, gives every one of us revelation so that we can make a decision either for or against. So the big question, what is the light of God? Who is also the light of the world going to do for Hanukkah? Think about the room. You know, here's Hanukkah, this raging winter celebration for eight days, so much joy, so much light, and you're the light. You're the light that's being celebrated. What are you going to do? If you're Jesus, what are you going to do? Ignore the celebration? Stay up in Galilee? Yeah. The light of God is not going to miss the celebration of God's light among his people. And so he shows up in John chapter 10. It's our first slide. We'll go back to that. Now Hanukkah was taking place in Jerusalem. It was winter. And Jesus was walking around in the temple inside the open porch of Solomon. Then the Jews gathered around him and were saying to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Why? Because Jesus was beating around the bush. He was being coy. He wasn't revealing who he was. He did miracles and told people, Don't tell people who I am. He'd do some miracle that only the Messiah could do, and the people would realize he's the Messiah, and he'd say, okay, okay, don't tell anyone, though. He didn't want that out. He hid that. So they're saying to him again, come on, just shoot straight. We're, we're, we're tired of your figures of speech, your parables, all that hidden stuff. Just tell us, are you the Messiah or not? Jesus answers, I told you, and you do not believe me, the works that I do in my Father's name, these testify of me. Again, not shooting straight, being somewhat coy. He said, but if you do not believe because you are, but you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. I give eternal life to them. They will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my Father's hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. And then he says, I and the Father are one. Now, now, now the import of this is staggering. 
Because when he discloses for the first time who he is, it's more than what they're ready for. He's saying, in essence, I'm not just a Messiah. I'm not just the Messiah. I'm actually one with the Father. The Jews picked up stones to stone him. Jesus answered them, I showed you many good works from the Father, for which of them are you stoning me? The Jews answered him, For a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself out to be God. They connected the dots. He spoke plainly. They knew exactly what he was saying, that he was, in fact, God with them in human flesh and blood. And now they're going to stone him for that. That's blasphemy that a man would claim to be God. Wow. The celebration of light. A figure of speech for revelation. Jesus shows up and says, okay, let me reveal myself. I've waited to reveal myself. What better time for a revelation than the festival of revelation? It is so powerful. When you connect all the dots, it's, 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 it, would be, it would be a real complex matter if he didn't show up at Hanukkah and do this. This makes perfect sense. So they're going to stone him. They charge him with making himself out to be God, and he answers them. Has it not been written in your law? You know what? I don't got time to go down through this. You can work down through that because I'm out of time. Uh, But suffice it to say, at Hanukkah, at the season of Revelation, he reveals who he is and says, here I am, Emmanuel, God with you. And they're going to stone him now, right? This is the significance of Hanukkah. He's fulfilling the meaning of Hanukkah. He not only fulfills the commanded festivals, he even fulfilled one of the man-made festivals that had biblical roots and biblical symbols. He shows up and says, I'm I'm the light of God. I'm the light of the world. I am God. I've come to save you to bring you out of the darkness. That he did that at at Hanukkah is everything. Yeah. Someone go and get Veronica. It's time to celebrate Hanukkah, right? Such a joyous time. Such festivity. Such a great reason to eat and drink and schmooze with friends. Oh my gosh, this is everything. Jesus is the reason for the season. So in summary... Hanukkah is the celebration of truth and our commitment to it. Embrace truth, live truth, share truth. That's who we are. The biblical symbol of Hanukkah is light. The eight-branch menorah represents that. God is light. He sends his son, Jesus, to carry that light, that truth, that revelation to each and every human being. Think about that. The light of God revealed so that we can find our way out of the darkness. This is the love of God to bring us back into the light. This is why we celebrate Hanukkah, not because it's commanded, because it isn't, but because it's all about Jesus, the light and revelation of God. And it's all about being loyal to God's commandments as a way of life 
Revelation 14, 12 says, speaking of the believers at the very end of the age, the climax, right? It says, here's the perseverance of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. That's why we keep Hanukkah. It's who we are. It's our festival. It's our revelation. It is our joy. Okay, so in closing, as they're passing those out, uh, this is uh, uh, always, always a challenging time, and uh, this, this is what I want to share with you. Um, we're all on a journey together. We're all walk, you know, coming more and more into the light. So uh, don't get proud over some of the things you know that maybe others don't. Stay humble, stay loving, share with those who are asking for information. But don't beat up those who are not interested. You know, don't, don't use truth as a battering ram. Just, you know, and don't acquiesce, though, and don't, you know, don't, yeah, don't acqu- acquiesce. So what, what I kind of do, it's always challenging. Um, I always schedule things to do on December 25th so that I always have a good excuse <laughs> to say no politely that I can't come to your party, you know? Um, so so I, I'm always very uh, careful how I do that. Uh, when people say to me, Merry Christmas, I always say, yeah, thank you. We celebrated that back in September, you know, which is always kind of, but that might open the door for some discussion, right? Or I'll just simply say, happy Hanukkah. And usually that's good. You know, everyone's happy. Sometimes I've, I've had people say, I'll, I'll say, they'll say Merry Christmas and I'll say happy Hanukkah. And they'll say, I don't celebrate Hanukkah. I'm thinking, why would they say that? So I just respond, well, I don't celebrate Christmas. And then they got the look on the face that I had. It all works out, though. We walk away confused, but we're okay, you know? Uh, But I want to encourage you on your journey, and maybe you're still doing Christmas, right? Um, And maybe you're saying, hey, this Hanukkah thing is pretty interesting, too. I encourage you to kind of take a closer look at Hanukkah and uh, jump into the joy and maybe get a a Hanukkah and kind of, you know, go through our booklet. We have some devotionals in the booklet. I think you'll enjoy that. And see how that works for you. And then if you want to find more about why there's some problems associated with Christmas, again, in a week and a half, I think we're going to do that video here. So stay tuned. It'll be on a Tuesday night. And uh, you can come to that. We'll give you information for that. All right. So I think we are done for now. Shabbat Shalom. Please rise for the closing benediction.